Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. We have a problem in this country. A disease. A rot. An addiction that's eating us up from the inside. It turns parents against children and children against their parents. And every day, hard-working people become maniacal beasts willing to violently attack their fellow citizens until they're bloody and bruised. And like any addiction, those deepest in its thrall will spend almost every dime they have to get their fix. We can't even acknowledge that it's a problem. Instead, We venerate the pushers and dealers that are sending us further down this dark spiral. And my fellow Canadians, I'm here to tell you that it's not getting better. It's getting worse. We are a sick country. And what's plaguing us is hockey. Right now, I'm sure you're thinking that, look, we're not hurting anyone. We only indulge on the weekends. We could stop any time. But take this into consideration. Not too long ago, some hockey parents spoke anonymously to the National Post about what they've witnessed. One person described a perfectly pleasant nurse from Whitby, Ontario, who got into multiple fistfights at her son's games. Another was offered a $7,500 bribe by a coach to try to convince his 8-year-old to switch teams. Then there's the millionaire dad who would spend $40,000 just so his son could get a spot on the team he wanted. And you think that's going over the top? Let's take the case of Zach Hyman. Takes a hit, shoveled the puck to Connor Brown. Now it's a race. Zach Hyman flying towards the net, cuts in, he scores! Today, Hyman plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. As Hyman was growing up, his father, a wealthy real estate mogul, started buying children's hockey teams around Toronto, which, incidentally, his sons would play for. He kept on buying and buying until by the mid-2000s, he owned 90 different teams. And as his sons got older, he bought a junior-level team, which again, they also played for. 
And in 2010, months before Zach was coming up in the NHL draft, his father purchased a hockey scouting company that ended up ranking his son significantly higher than the NHL Central Scouting Bureau. Now, Zach did make his way to the NHL, and he's proven himself as a player. But the Hyman saga shows us the lengths that we'll go to satisfy our hockey addiction. And like every other addiction, this one is built off of lies that we tell to ourselves. We're told that hockey is what brings us together as a country, cutting across class lines and language divides. But the truth is, hockey is big business. Together, the 31 teams in the NHL are worth around $27 billion. And in Canada, it's still the closest thing we have to a civic religion. But just like real religions, it's been complicit in all manner of sins. There's Alan Eagleson, the first head of the NHL Players Association, who embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars from the game. Concussions from headshots and fighting have caused immense damage to young players and old pros alike. And maybe worst of all, we voted Don Cherry, one of the 10 greatest Canadians in history. He beat out Alexander Graham Bell. But it's when you look away from the NHL that things start to look really bleak. Junior hockey, which trains so much of that NHL talent, is built on a system of fickle promises and unpaid labor. Children and teenagers are giving hundreds of hours and their sweat, blood, and tears to for-profit companies just to chase a dream. Teams claim they can't pay teenagers minimum wage while making millions of dollars with little to no oversight. But that whole system may be on the verge of collapse. I'm Archie Mann, and from Canada Land, this is Commons. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So, from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. 
Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Say you're a young, promising hockey player. You think you got what it takes to make it to the NHL. What are your options? You basically got two. You could wait until you're finished high school and go to a big American college and compete in the NCAA. Or you could go play in the Canadian Hockey League. It's one of the biggest sort of junior, and by junior I mean under 20 sports leagues in the world. Uh, It's been around for as long as the Stanley Cup has been. My name's Scott Wheeler, and I'm a national prospects writer and Toronto Maple Leafs reporter for The Athletic, which is a startup that you should consider subscribing to for a very low rate. The CHL is actually composed of three different parts, the Western Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And together, there are 60 for-profit teams that play against each other in those leagues. If you live in a big city with an NHL franchise, you might not have heard of the local CHL team. But a lot of these teams, the Kelowna Rockets, the Halifax Mooseheads, the Windsor Spitfires, are the biggest sports draw around. And the annual Memorial Cup championship always gets national attention. They provide the biggest sporting events of the year. They're, they're the night out on the town in a lot of these places. And so there's definitely an entrenchment there that runs pretty deep and, and really has run deep for almost 100 years. If you're a player from one of these teams, you quickly become a celebrity in whatever city you're in. But it comes with a catch. These players are paid less than a dollar an hour. Most of the players in the CHL are between 16 and 20, and the league doesn't treat them as workers. Instead, it claims that these are amateur student-athletes. But CHL teams aren't colleges. They're for-profit companies in a competitive sports league. Certainly, the argument to be made is that high school teams don't sell out arenas of 8,000 people. Players get a small stipend. Most get around $60 a week. And since players may get signed to teams far from home, families will billet them wherever they have to go. But they are not paid. There's no income that's coming in. They aren't being paid by the hour that they're at the rink. For a lot of players, this isn't actually much of a problem. Hockey is a sport where predominantly all of the players who play junior hockey come from money. 
And so the financial concerns aren't what they are for your average Canadian in terms of the kind of player and the kind of demographic that ends up at a AAA hockey level and has the the money and, and sort of the class to be able to play in those kinds of leagues. A lot of those kids, they enjoy the lifestyle. They enjoy going to these cities. They're a big deal in a lot of these cities. But there's a significant minority who suffer. I have spoken to players who had horrible billet situations, um, didn't have enough money to get by, didn't come from money. One such player had a very bad situation. They took the $150 a week that they received from the team. They spent it on alcohol. They didn't take care of him. They didn't provide for him. They didn't make him meals. He didn't come from money. He had to go to Subway for dinner and couldn't even afford to, to get a sub at Subway kind of thing. It's certainly a minority, but there are certainly players out there who have this option presented to them where at 15, 16 years old, they're offered to play in the OHL. And it's extremely hard to say no to that at that age. They're focused on hockey and little else. And then there are players who get to the end of their career at 19, 20, who have no money and don't really, didn't really get the high school education or the grades that they wanted. For the kids who come from money, it's a great lifestyle and they love it. But there, there is a, certainly a minority that struggles with it. So how does the league justify not paying its players? Scholarships. The uh, CHL scholarship program is uh, easily one of the most flexible and, and financially rewarding in North America. Uh, for every season a player plays in the Canadian Hockey League, he is entitled to a minimum of tuition, books, and compulsory fees. But for a lot of players, the program doesn't turn out to be what they expected. Alan Walsh, an NHL agent, has said that the CHL tries to limit who can make use of this money. Quote, the CHL's dirty little secret is that they don't want players using these packages, he said. If you wait longer than 18 months, the scholarship's cancelled. If you play even one professional game, cancelled. If you quit the team midseason, cancelled. And up until a few years ago, if you're a European player, you weren't entitled to any scholarship money whatsoever. All of this hinges on a player graduating high school on time, which frankly, many students don't. The CHL publicly claims that they can't afford to pay players and provide them scholarships. Their whole shtick whenever wage comes up is that we wouldn't be able to afford the packages for, for schooling. And that's the basically the crooks of their argument. They're using that as leverage to sort of hold their current players hostage to say, hey, if you want back wages for what you haven't been paid on, on a minimum wage kind of basis... We're not going to be able to pay for your education and you're going to be out whatever it ends up being in terms of your education. The CHL's own figures claim that teams made a total of $135 million in revenue. Documents obtained by Commons show that the OHL and WHL spent less than $3 million in the 2015-2016 season on scholarships. For the last few years, a class action lawsuit by former players against the CHL has been making its way through the courts. It contends that the players are actually workers, not amateurs, and that the CHL teams are profiting off of them. The players are asking for minimum wage. One of those former players is Jeremy Gotsman, who used to be a top prospect. He submitted an affidavit in support of the suit. He gives insight into what it can be like if you're one of those players who didn't have a good experience in the league. We weren't actually able to reach Gotsman, but we got somebody to read parts of his affidavit. 
I played in the OHL for three seasons, first for the Erie Otters and then for the Peterborough Peets. In my first year with the Otters, about nine players were still in high school. Few players took their studies seriously. For example, my teammate Andrew Yogan never completed high school despite playing in the OHL for four seasons. Other players squeaked by because teachers gave them relaxed deadlines and graded them more easily. One teacher admitted to me that my grade had been bumped up from a B to an A because I was a hockey player that deserved special treatment. I did not write one exam in my first semester of grade 12, which was unheard of at home. I was seldom assigned homework. My largest assignment in grade 11 came from my English class, where I was asked to list 50 things I wish to accomplish in life. I completed this in one sitting. On January 10th, 2011, I was at school and called to the principal's office, where the assistant general manager was waiting for me. He instructed me to immediately return to the arena to sign the trade paperwork before the trade deadline later that day. I ran to my girlfriend's classroom for a hasty farewell and was then driven to the arena. There was no conversation about whether I wished to move to Peterborough. I signed the paperwork without my parents or agent present and was then sent home to pack my belongings. My parents drove me to Peterborough the following day. By this time, I had slipped into a depression and began isolating myself due to injuries. There's a common saying among veteran players when talking to the new rookies. You're smiling now, but you won't be smiling by Christmas. The full-time sacrifice is not just about daily workouts and practices and demanding travel commitments. It also includes moving away from home at age 16, leaving behind your family, your friends, your high school, your hometown, and everything you had ever known. By the end of my career, I had sustained many injuries that continued to trouble me. I've developed tunnel vision in crowds. I've been diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, a panic disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, attention-deficient hyperactive disorder, and claustrophobia. I struggle with anxiety and depression all the time. I support this class action lawsuit because I believe players should be compensated for their hard work, for their sacrifices, and for the risks they take. I tell you, Brian, I'll tell you one thing right now. As I said Saturday night, there is no way junior teams can survive if this suit goes through. If you can believe it, these, these young guys want vacation pay. Now, can you imagine vacation pay? I mean, that's ridiculous. They want back pay. I think it adds up to $180 million. No way a junior clubs can survive. If you look around, I watch the games all the time. No way. You look at the crowds. Most of them get in it because they love the game. They either break even or they lose money. And the Canadian Hockey League, will I don't know how it will ever survive with this suit goes through. These guys, and I, I have to say it, this is my opinion, I have an opinion, these guys should be ashamed of themselves. It will be the end of junior hockey as we know it. While defending the class action lawsuit, the Canadian Hockey League has made lots of legal arguments about why the players shouldn't be paid. But their most important public argument is much more simple. You heard Don Cherry say just a minute ago, the teams would go broke. They can't afford it. Here's David Branch, the league's commissioner. Two-thirds of our, our teams actually break even or lose money. So it's, it is a fine, fine line. And that was what we were hoping that people might come to see, is that uh, we talk proud. Uh, we do everything to the best possible extent in terms of what we provide the players currently, the environment they're in, the coaching they receive. But you know what? It isn't about making money. It's just about doing the right thing. And our owners uh, respect that. They buy into it. We're not going to cry poor. Uh, we're not going to threaten. 
But it's clear that we cannot afford to continue to operate the way we do. And there are certainly teams that struggle. That, that's a fact. There are teams across the league, the 60 teams, that lose money every single year and that struggle to get by and that may have to relocate whether or not minimum wage is instituted. But those financial statements don't quite seem to add up. It showed a league that's limping along with few teams making any significant profits. But those statements don't quite add up. Let's take the WHL and the OHL. Around 850 players are in those two leagues. Together, they claim to make around $136 million in revenue in 2015. Ken Campbell, a senior writer at the Hockey News, asked a pertinent question in a column. Quote, What business in any part of the real world will be able to claim revenues of more than $136 million? Then try to convince people that it couldn't afford to pay 850 of its employees' minimum wage. CHL revenues have been rising over the years. The names and likenesses of CHL players are included in EA's NHL video game franchise. But not only do the players not get paid for that, if they actually want to play the game, they've got to pay full price. And then there's broadcasting. Sportsnet now broadcasts their games regularly. That is great for the league in a lot of ways, but it also puts these players on TV. And when you're on TV, someone's making money off of you. And at that point, there's also an easy argument to be made that you're not a student athlete anymore. But even as revenues rise, CHL expenses seem to rise in tandem. We certainly learned the, the sort of profit margins, but even those are a little bit murky. There are teams that claimed upwards of a million dollars in losses every year. The Barry Colts, for example, uh, wrote off three and a half million in profits to their parent company for the operation of the team, which was basically a way of them disguising what they're making in their parent company's financial statements. There are, are certainly some murky things happening. Some of these teams tried to disclose or, or disguise, if you will, as, as much as they can in terms of hiding their, their revenue and, and sort of over-exaggerating their losses uh, to appear less profitable than they are. Most teams won't say how much executives and managers are making, but we do know that a former president of the Oshawa Generals made $150,000 in the first year of her job. And according to TSN, player agents say that the average coach's salary is around $200,000. The salaries of just those two people would be more than enough to pay minimum wage to a full team of players. And we have no idea what some of these teams are counting as expenses because the vast majority of them have never been audited. Although one team did give us a hint. Owner of the Niagara Ice Dogs, Denise Burke, has said that paying players minimum wage would mean the team would be left facing a financial catastrophe. Nick Angelotti, a forensic accountant who looked at the Ice Dogs' financials, told TSN that we can't really learn much from them. Quote, the owner of a company like this has absolute discretion. They can pay themselves and others whatever they want. Do know that the Ice Dog owners paid themselves $300,000 in dividends, around what it would take to pay the players minimum wage. And according to tax documents, at the same time the owners were pleading poverty, the team was leasing out five separate cars. 
four of them were BMWs, and one of them retailed at $121,000. But for the sake of argument, let's take the CHL at their word. Maybe they don't have enough money to pay these players. But here's the thing. The CHL has a benefactor. An important benefactor with gobs of money that depends on it for its players. The National Hockey League. The CHL itself is primarily financed by the NHL. The CHL proper doesn't make a ton of money. Their only source of revenue stream is primarily through funding from the NHL, which is kind of disguised, if you will, by grants. The NHL relies on the CHL to train its players. If the CHL really did get into trouble, it's hard to see the NHL not bailing it out. The NHL would certainly take the stance that they wouldn't jump in and save the CHL if they ran into trouble and had to pay their players. But the NHL relies on the CHL more than it relies on any league in the world. They rely on them more than European, any of the top European leagues, the NCAA. And it is, it is an extremely close bond. They, they need the Connor McDavid's of the world. And they feel that the OHL and the QMJHL and the WHL are best positioned to elevate those players to their league at a young age. Right now, teams are paid around $150,000 for every player they send to the NHL. Last year, 78 CHL players were drafted by the NHL. That's around $12 million for CHL teams. That's one source of revenue for a lot of these teams. They get rewards for producing NHL talent. If you graduate four players in a year, it can be half a million dollars, which is not insignificant. I think the NHL would be backed into a corner in in a sense in that they would have no choice but to try and support the teams that would otherwise struggle or potentially have to fold. But even without that, there is upwards of $20 million some years given from the NHL to the CHL to, to allow the league to be what it is. Most fans aren't sympathetic to the former CHL players suing the league. My sense is that the vast majority of fans think that these kids are spoiled as it is and think that they are afforded incredible opportunities that the average person isn't afforded. And why are they now complaining about the opportunities that they were afforded in the OHL? And the CHL has many allies. Late last year, the Doug Ford government came out sharply against the players, saying that the province won't consider them employees. That move pleased Don Cherry, that icon of regressive Canada. But good for Doug Ford. Stepped up. And I'm glad for Doug Ford. I'm glad. One, we got a politician that keeps his promises. But the CHL should worry about bringing more attention to the issue. When the Portland Winterhawks, a WHL team, tried to convince the Oregon State Senate that their players should be classified as amateurs, the plan backfired spectacularly. Former players talked about how their rights had been violated, the abuse they suffered on the ice, the scholarships that were stripped from them, all while they were still kids. During my career in the WHL, I had about 75 bare-knuckle fist fights. The management, the coaches, and people around me were, were, were praising me, and the fans, it was getting rewarded. The violence on the ice was getting rewarded. I had no idea the damage this was causing until my early 20s when I started facing depression, mood swings, and thoughts of suicide. The senators weren't impressed. I want to apologize. I'm thinking of... 
Um, I took my daughter to a Winter Hawks game. It did not occur to me that we were enjoying an evening and having fun uh, based on the exploitation of other children that were her age. And I am very remorseful that we participated in that. And I'm very, very sorry for what you experienced. All it took to change their minds was hearing about what life was like for some of these kids. This can be a tricky story to wrap your head around, but it comes down to this. We have teenagers working hundreds of hours in dangerous conditions for next to nothing. When someone buys a jersey with their name on it, they don't see a penny. When thousands of people come to see them play, they don't see a penny. And sure, some of them will make it to the NHL, but most won't. Team owners, coaches, the NHL and fans all benefit from their work, all the while shouting from the rooftops that there just isn't enough money. The lawsuits still have a long way to go. And there's no guarantee that the courts will see things the players way. But Lucas Walter, a former player and one of the plaintiffs, had this to say about why he's suing the league. I don't see the players having any say you almost feel like a piece of meat sometimes. That's your episode of Commons for the week. This episode relied on reporting done by Scott Wheeler at The Athletic, Rick Westhead at TSN, Ken Campbell at The Hockey News, and many other folks. And make sure to check out Oppo next week. On the latest episode, Jen and Justin interviewed NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, who's running for a federal seat as we speak definitely give it a listen. It really was a great interview. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at Canada Land Commons. That's C-M-N-S. You can also email me, arshi at canadalandshow.com. This episode was produced by myself and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. And our music is by Nathan Burley. If you like what we do, please help us make this show. You can support us and get ad-free podcasts by going to patreon.com slash CanadaLand.